the book of Isaiah and the 53rd chapter. That's a good place to start. Now, let me remind you, it's, I've been requested to clarify something. We, have, we are studying the names of Jesus in the Bible. Not the names of God the Father and not the names of the Holy Spirit. The names of Jesus. So we didn't leave out Abba. Abba is the Father. Nor did we leave out the reverse of that, which Abba, if you reverse it, is Abba, which is the, that's also the Father. So either way you look at it, if you look at it from eternity past or eternity future, he's Abba, no matter. No matter. And uh, so anyway, it's, uh, we, didn't, we didn't skip over, thank you. We didn't skip over that one, just, we're just doing the names of, of Jesus. So, all right, tonight, the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord. And we understand this is Jesus by the following. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Look at the wording. Who hath believed our report to whom is the arm of the Lord, the arm, the arm of the Lord revealed, for he shall grow up before him. The arm shall grow up before the Lord. Jesus is the arm of the Lord. Now, let me show you an interesting thing about arm as it's you. When we, when we think of arm, we think of that body part which is attached to the shoulder, and, and it is that. But it's not just that. Look in your Bible in Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31. And you'll recognize this as soon as we read it. Numbers 31 verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel, the Midianites. Uh, Midianites, afterwards shalt thou be gathered unto thy people. And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites and avenge the Lord of Midian. Now, he's not saying go out and find some amputees and sew arms on them. He is referring to taking up arms. He is referring to armaments, which you keep in the armory. And which you distribute to the army. So the armed forces can go out and do battle. Okay? So the arm of the Lord is not speaking about Jesus as being one of God's body parts. He's speaking about Jesus as the weapon which God uses to wage war and to gain victories. That's, that's interesting. The Lord did not defeat the foes that we are going to look at tonight by prayer. He did not defeat them by baptism. He did not defeat them by good deeds. He defeated them by His Son. Jesus Christ is the weapon in the hand of God the Father wherewith the Father defeats certain foes of His people 
and then hands the victory that he, God the Father, has won by means of his Son, Jesus Christ, to those who will trust him and believe on him. Jesus Christ is the weapon of war in the hand of God the Father. What an interesting idea. The Bible says, look at Exodus chapter number 6. Exodus chapter 6. And let's read it, verse number 1. Exodus 6 and verse number 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, Shall he let them go? And with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. So Jehovah plainly is not God's only name. That's a gross misinterpretation of Psalm 43 by a certain cult in your town. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm... And with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now here God says, I am going to use armaments to defeat Pharaoh for you. And the Lord bombarded Egypt with lice and flies and frogs and Uh, bloody waters and moraine upon the cattle and and darkness over all the land. And finally, with with, uh, death on Passover night, these were the weapons that God used to deliver the children of Israel. He waged war on Egypt with his arm. Okay? And when when he says arm, he is talking about the weapons of his warfare. He bombarded the Egyptians again and again and again, and the children of Israel walked out free without ever firing a shot. They didn't throw a single rock from a single slingshot to get out of Egypt. God waged war on their behalf and brought them out with a mighty arm. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is a phrase that's used over and over again throughout the Old Testament, referring to God delivering the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 4, and let's read, at, let's read verse 34. Or hath God essayed to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation by temptations, by signs, and by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm? And by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. So what did he do? With his stretched out arm, he delivered the people. 
That phrase is found 14 times in the Bible. The Lord's arm is always able to deliver. His arm is always able to set captives free. His arm is always able to strike down his enemies, but he doesn't always stretch out that arm. He is very long-suffering. He's very merciful. He's very patient. People say, look at all the sin and all the crime and the violence in our nation. Why doesn't God do something about it? Is he incapable? No, he's capable. That arm is as strong as it's ever been. He's just not yet seen fit to stretch it out. But if God ever stretches out that arm, whoever stands in his way is going down. That's the mighty, mighty arm of God. Now, how do we, how do we determine or measure the strength of this arm? Come to Psalm number 89. Psalm 89. And let's consider the might of this arm. Psalm 89, let's start at verse 5. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto Thee, or to Thy faithfulness round about Thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, Thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. Rahab there uh, put for the great harlot uh, religions of the world. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. How about that? The heavens are thine. The earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south, thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm. Strong is thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment of the habitation of thy throne, mercy and truth shall go before thy face. So, God's arm is strong enough to create the heavens and the earth. God's arm is strong enough to put down Every foe that would rise against him in those heavens and in those earth, in that earth. And should the, the mother of harlot, her, harlots herself, should all of the harlot religions of the world set themselves in opposition to God, it would be nothing for him to stretch forth his arm and bring them down. While you read that book of Revelation, and the beast appears to be quite powerful. And the false prophet appears to be wondrous. And, and the, the Antichrist seems to take over the entire world. And the mother of harlots controls the commerce and the trade and the merchandise. And nobody can buy or sell or get gain without that mark. And, and as you read through those chapters of Revelation, it's astonishing to see the power and the might and the influence of Rahab. And then you turn the page... And in an hour, 
the arm of the Lord reaches forth and brings it all to nothing. It seems that the devil has this great power and then God reaches out his arm. It seems as though the wickedness in this world is going to to envelop everything and then God stretches out his arm. It seems as though darkness will prevail and then God stretches out his arm. Now all of the fantasy stories and all of the cowboy movies and all of the hero tales are just cheap imitations of the Bible. You build up the bad guy and you show the crimes of the bad guy and you see how awful the bad guy is and the army goes out and shoots at the UFOs and their bullets don't bring down the spaceships and and all the cowboys get together and try and stop the black hat bad guy but he shoots them all dead with his six shooter and then just when it seems that the whole town is going to burn down, just when it seems the alien dragons are going to eat up the whole human race, here comes the good guy, the one hero. And with a pistol that never runs out of bullets, he shoots every bad guy right between the eyeballs. Amen? Now all that is, is just the world getting you to adore a fictional character in a fairy tale story rather than to adore the arm of the Lord who's going to stop all the devilment on this earth in the very last hour when it seems that all is lost. The good guy on the white horse is going to ride into town and put a stop to all the wickedness and make everything right. Hallelujah. That's the arm of the Lord. He's strong enough to do that. And he will do that. If you doubt it, talk to the people in the days of the flood. If you doubt that, talk to the people that lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. If you doubt that, uh, talk to Pharaoh. If you doubt that, talk to the Midianites. If you doubt that, talk to the Hivites. If you doubt that, talk to the, uh, to the Chaldeans. If you doubt that, talk to the Babylonians. If you doubt that, just stick around and watch. Until one day the arm of the Lord reaches out and boom, it's all over. You know, if, if you just, if you laid down on the ground, if you just laid down on the ground, flat on the earth, and you're about six or seven years old, and you set up all your army men on the floor, they still make those little plastic army men, and you set them all out there, you know, the guy crawling on the ground, and the guy with the machine gun, and the guy throwing a hand grenade. I mean, there's only so many things you can do with plastic army men. But if you set all your plastic army men out there and laid down right on the ground and looked at them, it would look like a real big, powerful, imposing army. And then in a split second, your big brother could come along and just kick them all over the room. And the whole war would be over in an instant. And you'd be left saying, Mom, he kicked over my army, man. You know something one day, that Antichrist, just before he ends up in hell, he's going to scream, Mom, he kicked over all my army, man. That's Jesus. Now, if you were here on this earth during the tribulation, it would look like this big, powerful, mighty army of millions and millions and millions and millions of big, bad soldiers. But one day, God's just going to reach out His arm and just scatter them. Just blast them right off the scene. Drop them into hell. Amen. That's our God. That's our God. You don't need to buy, uh, you know, pulp 
uh, stories, and you don't need to watch all those movies. It's, it's all just different costumes, but replacements for Jesus and the devil. He's the good guy. And he'll win without cussing. He'll win without doing anything inappropriate. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, well, let's see what else we got about this, this strong arm. Uh, come to Isaiah 51 and Isaiah 63. This is all good, but we're just going to save the best for last. Isaiah 51, Isaiah 63. So this is the, the arm of the Lord. It's strong enough to put down enemies. He can go to war with just his arm. And his armaments are sufficient to win any battle set before him. Isaiah 51. He has gone to war for Israel again and again in time past. And he will do so again in the future. Let's pause here for a minute. I, I said this the other night in Bible school. But how many of you, how many of you were, were alive and aware of what was going on in the 60s and 70s? Okay. Now, when I say aware of what was going on, by that I mean you, were, you, you weren't so young you didn't know what was going on. I didn't mean you were doing things that rendered you incapable of knowing what was going on in the 60s and 70s. But I, I, I feel like I've gone through the looking glass with Alice into Wonderland. John Kerry is begging for the privilege of bombing people and going to war. How weird is that? Are you kidding me? This is, this is the hippie that threw his medals over the fence at the White House and said, America's a bunch of killers, and now we got him going to Congress and saying, please shoot some missiles at somebody. How weird is that? You've got to admit, that's strange. Your president said he doesn't want to hit anybody with the missiles. He just wants to shoot them over the country to give them a warning. Hey, genius. They're probably going to land somewhere. <laughs> I know you don't learn that in community organizer school, but if, if you fire one of those missiles, it's, it's not just going to hover in space while you push pause on your video game. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? Now, the Lord looks down on that and He says, Wow, those are the leaders of the free world. I wonder how much longer I can keep my arm by my side. I'm just about ready to reach out and smash the whole thing to pieces. But here's a concern. Amongst people that have, you know, half an idea what's going on. The concern is if, if something really gets going over there, what's going to happen to Israel? That was the concern in 47, 48, 49. That was the concern in 50, 51, and 52. That was the concern in 1953 to 1963. That was the concern from 63 to 67. Then everybody backed down till about 70. And then they tried something again in 73. And, and everybody's backed down ever since then because for whatever else the Muslims might have, they have a long memory and they remember getting their Muslim camel kicked all the way back to wherever they came from uh, 
twice over there, and they're a little reluctant to attack Israel, though it looks so vulnerable, because it's almost like God helps them. And they don't believe in Israel's God, and they don't like Israel's God, but every time they, they try to go a little farther than the usual, you know, blowing up cafes with suicide bombers and stuff, bad things happen to them. And there's a reason for that. Isaiah 51 says, verse number 1, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock, whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit, whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. You just, need, you just ought to read about the Six-Day War of 1967. And, and some of those accounts, I, mean, I don't know if I believe them or not, but all these tanks are coming up across the Sinai out of Egypt into Israel, and all of a sudden tanks just start blowing up, and they got no enemy on their radar whatsoever. They don't, they don't have any Israeli troops on their radar. Their scouts don't see any Israeli troops. they got planes flying over. They don't see any Israeli troops. Somebody's shooting their tanks and blowing them up right in the middle of the desert. Strange stuff. Do you believe that? Verse uh, 3, For the Lord shall comfort Zion, He will comfort all her waste places, and He will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving in the voice of melody. Hearken unto me, my people. Give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. Mine arms shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arms shall they trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath. The heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. They that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. What's their answer? Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it which hath dried the sea and the waters of the great deep and hath made the depths of the sea away for the ransom to pass over? Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. God said, just take, just take a few notes here. The race before the flood, the Egyptians, the Canaanites, all I got to do to preserve my people is stretch out my arm. And when I stretch out my arm, all their enemies are destroyed. And there's nothing more left of them than smoke after a fire. That's God. So, if you want to know what, what, what my take is at any given time on 
Iran, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, China, Jordan, Kuwait. Just keep going down the list. That's my take on it. They'll go as far as God lets them go. And when they've gone as far as God's going to let them go, He'll just reach out His arm and snuff them out like you'd put out the smoldering butt of a cigarette. Well, not you, but people who... Well, some of you, but not, not, not all. That's God. That's God. He said, I have, no, I have no more trouble cutting through the greatest army on earth than a moth does chewing up clothes in a closet. That's the Lord. That's the arm of the Lord. He'll preserve and protect His people. I believe that. The Bible says in Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. Here's a great passage on Jesus returning to earth. Isaiah 63 and verse number 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? Answer, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? Answer, I have trodden the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiments. Uh, for the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. And I looked, and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me. And my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. How about that? Now look what God said. This is God, the invisible God, right? Come on. Timothy 1.17, the invisible God. There's no man seeth at any time. It's God. But how is God going to have His garments stained with the blood of fighting men? Well, He's going to put on garments. Yeah, but you can't put on garments unless you have a body. So the one who is treading this wine press and the one who is devouring these enemies and the one who is, is treading their blood beneath his horse must be God manifest in the flesh. God manifest in the flesh is called in Isaiah 63 the arm of the Lord. When God wants to stretch out his arm to destroy his foes at Armageddon and establish his kingdom of peace and righteousness on, his earth, on this earth, who is his stretched out arm? It's Jesus Christ. He is the great weapon of war at the disposal and at the right hand of God the Father. Now, this is, this is what the world doesn't get. He's the Alpha. Oh, we love that. He's the advocate. Oh, that's so beautiful. He's the last Adam taking away our sin. He's, he's the ancient of days. He's always been there for us. He's the apostle sent forth by God that we might have eternal life. And I'll tell you who else he is. 
If you choose to reject a God who would provide you with such a wonderful Savior and such a wonderful salvation, He is also the one who's going to kick you in the head and throw you into the pit. That's who He is. He's, he's the Savior, but He is also the great destroying weapon in the hand of an avenging God. Now think about something. Look what you just read there. In Isaiah 63 verse 4. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. For all of these centuries, God has watched wicked men torture and kill first the Jews, His people, then Christians, His redeemed people. He's watched that. And he's told Christians for 2,000 years, do not retaliate. Do not take vengeance. Do not wage war with carnal weapons in the flesh. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That's what he said. And what we need to understand now is we wonder why God lets all this happen. He said, it's in my heart. There's not a day goes by that I don't have this commingling of emotions, God says. I'm not willing that any should perish. I want to save. I'm being as long-suffering as I can because I want those men and women to be saved. But at the very same time, my heart wants to pay them back for what they've done to my people. And when that trumpet sounds, my body is complete and I take my people out of this world and what is left on that earth are the people who have rejected my son and persecuted and tormented my people. The day is going to come when I will, when I will justify all that suffering by pouring out my judgment upon those who caused it. I will take vengeance for my people. And you know who he's going to allow to do it? The very arm who suffered in their place so they might be saved. It's absolute justice. I will take nails in my hands so that you might be forgiven. And if you want to tread that blood underfoot and you want to do desperate to the Spirit of grace, I will take that very same hand and hold a sword in it and chop you to bits with that same hand. That's Jesus Christ. He's the arm of the Lord. Now, that's, that's the military, the, the physical military side of it, and it's there. But let's come back to Isaiah 53. Because there are more serious foes in this world than armies and machine gunners and arrow shooters and bomb droppers and Jesus said, fear not them that can kill the body, and afterward can do nothing. So there must be enemies greater than physical enemies. And there must be a defeat far more serious than physical defeat and the losing of one's life. He went on to say, rather fear him that 
hath power to destroy both body and soul in hell. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 15 refers to our last and greatest enemy as death. Oh, who's got a strong enough arm to take on that foe? Isaiah 53, verse number 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. See, the arm of the Lord is a person. But who would expect the conquering hero to be a tender plant? Nobody. That's the genius of it. He had no former comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That doesn't look like a conquering military hero. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He's not the one we're looking for. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. That was our estimation of him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. That's the arm of the Lord. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment. Who should declare his generation? It's, it doesn't seem to make sense. But here I stand. I, I'm, I, I'm watching the, the serial films of the 1930s. I'm, I'm reading the the. Uh, spy novels of the 1960s and 70s. I, I, I'm, and what do I see? I see the man, oh no, they captured him. Why didn't he get away? Oh no, he let them bind his hands and now they're beating him up. Why didn't he fight back? Oh no, they've tied him on the conveyor belt and he's, he's going to get chopped in two by the, by the, the bandsaw. What? Oh no! But all of those were just devices by the brilliant spy and the cunning uh, hero of the Old West to make his way into the very heart of the enemy's stronghold so at the last moment he could burst the bands asunder, punch out the bad guy, and wave the flag of victory. It's been played out a million times in novels and movies and TV shows and comic books. But in the Bible... In the Bible. Who would have expected an uncomely, tender plant born in a manger in Bethlehem to be the conquering king of this earth? Who would expect a carpenter's son riding meek and lowly on a colt, the foal of an ass, to overthrow the Roman government? And it became... A matter of ridicule. Ah, now that destroys the temple in three days, huh? Yeah, we'll come down and we'll believe you. They mocked him as he hung upon the cross. 
for his weakness and his inability to keep from dying. And when they least expected it, he slipped from the cross into the very darkness of the underworld. And from the stronghold of death, he emerged with the keys of death and hell and announced, I am he that liveth and was dead and am alive forevermore. The arm of the Lord, it looked so weak, nailed to a cross. But it was his plan all along to get into the impenetrable fortress of death. And there defeat your last enemy in his stronghold. And walk out victorious with the power broken. (laughs) Why, what a brilliant strategy. It was not until the very last split second that Satan seems to have caught on to the plan. Because the very men that had spent a day and a night shouting, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, in the last hour began to say, If thou be, come down from the cross and we'll believe. If you'll come down from the cross, we'll believe. Too late. I got you. I'm in the door. I'm going through the valley of death. And when I come back out, there'll be nothing left but the shadow. I'm going into the stronghold of the principalities and powers, and when I come out, they will be spoiled. I'm going to die in an apparent absence of any strength, and when I come out, all power in heaven and on earth will be given unto me. Who would believe a report that says the arm of the Lord is a sheep that can't even bleat? Who would believe a report that says the arm of the Lord is a tender plant that can't get out of prison? Nobody would believe it. But he's got a plan. And when that plan is over, you will marvel at the genius of the Lord slipping in to hell itself and walking out triumphant. Isaiah 53 says, verse 9, and he made his grave with the wicked. He made his grave with the wicked. They didn't put him there. He went there. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The father and the son said, I know how we can do this. And by his knowledge... He made a way that you could be justified. Had he come down here and lived forever, you'd still be dead forever. But by dying, by meeting death on his on the battlefield of his choosing, he was able to put death to death. How about that? See, Jesus could have just, I mean, they nailed him across, he ripped his hands out, healed him, 
They nail him there again. He rips his hands out, heal him. Had, he, had they known him cross, he not wanted to die. He'd still be hanging on that cross. I mean, you go over there and look, so, so see the man. He's been hanging there for 2,000 years. It's amazing. But you'd still die in your sins and go to hell. But he went into death. And he went into the lower parts of the earth. And he walked through hell. And he came out the other side and said, I win. I win. Anybody want the victory? I'll give it to you. Hallelujah. Verse 13. Or 12, I'm sorry. There's not a 13. Verse 12. Therefore I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. How, how did he get the spoil? By becoming what appeared to be a defeated dead man. Instead, he proved himself to be the all-conquering resurrection and the life. He's the arm of the Lord. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Ha, 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 ha. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. You say, why does it say the hand and not the arm? Well, you, you don't have a working, functioning hand without the arm. But an arm... <laughs> look at this. An arm can make contact with you. An arm can strike you. An arm can lift you up. An arm can embrace you. But a hand can lay hold upon you. And the arm of the Lord reaches forth to defeat your foes. And then if you'll believe... The hand of the Lord will embrace you to save you. And if the arm of the Lord is Jesus Christ, then when the Bible says, No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand, you have all that power and might which is the arm of the Lord and the embracing, protecting care of the hand at the end of the arm. And you're just about as safe as you could possibly be. Behold, the arm of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save. So whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever sins you've committed, if you'd call on Jesus Christ, that arm would reach down as deep as you've fallen. And that hand of God would embrace and receive you. And having taken you into that hand, you'd never be separated from it again. Praise the Lord. So Jesus Christ is our advocate. He's our Adam. He's the Almighty. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the Apostle. He's the Arm of the Lord. Praise God. I just had an idea. I still have ideas. I'm not out yet. Just had another one. We've got some good artists in this church. Wouldn't that be a great ABC picture book for children to have all the A pictures of Jesus and a little description there and then a B pictures of 
the names of Jesus and he teach the children the alphabet and teach them all about Jesus at the same time. That'd be that'd be something to get get going on. Amen. Praise the Lord. I can work on that between two forty five and three o'clock in the in the morning. But praise the Lord. That's just the A's. Isn't that good? Don't you don't you enjoy learning about Jesus? Whoo. He's big. He's big. That's just the A's. We don't have 26 letters to go because there's no Q name or Z name. or But but there's a lot of them. And they're good, aren't they? They're blessed. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. For all that He is. All that He means to us. And Father, when we've finished studying all these names, we'll still be just just scratching a little small bit of the surface of the truth about your dear son. We thank you for him. Thank you for the songs we've sung today and the special music we've had today and the Sunday school classes we've had today and the fellowship we've had today, the visits and witnessing that's gone on today, the truth from your word that we've enjoyed today. Thank you, God, for all of your blessings. Thank you for everyone that's given a little something today to help us get the word out here and around the world. God, we thank you for our church and our brothers and sisters in Christ and pray that you continue to help us and guide us, direct us, have your hand a blessing upon us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.